Well, Happy New Year. It's, as it's already been said, but it's great to be here together at church with one another on uh, New Year's Day. And uh, New Year's Day is interesting, isn't it? Over the years, I've noticed uh, some things about the way we talk about the new year on New Year's Day. It seems to me that people, including myself, tend to look ahead at the new year with optimism, uh, excitement. There's a, there's a freshness and excitement to considering the new year. We think of all the new opportunities ahead of us. We see the ads online, and they're predictable, aren't they? It's a new year. It's a new you with a new attitude, right? We often think of the ways we want to be new this year. Maybe we think of the ways we can change or grow in different categories. So we plan to grow academically or intellectually. So we plan to read a certain number of books or take a a course to grow intellectually. Or we may want to become healthier as individuals. So we start a new workout plan and we plan to cut out the snacking in our life. Or we may want to grow spiritually. So we plan to uh, read the whole Bible this year. And uh, we're ready to do that, so we print off the sheets with the Bible reading plan, we uh, fold it up, and we put it in our Bible. We're ready for a new year. Uh, We're ready for new. We're ready to change, right? It seems almost everyone goes into the new year with a new resolve to change for the better. But as the year goes by, as you keep track of people and maybe you check in on them, how they're doing with these goals, these new resolutions they've made, uh, it's not long before you realize that most people lose motivation. Uh, the challenges or the resolutions that we've put in front of ourselves have become a burden and uh, we may find ourselves giving up by February or March on these new resolutions. We want change. We want new now, but how? Well, this common dilemma, I think, serves as a lighthearted reminder that change is often good, but hard. And it reminds us that we often want change in our lives, but need, some, need to do something different in order to get it. But is there a change that goes deeper and reaches further and lasts longer than New Year's resolutions? Is it possible to experience true change at the heart level? Well, if you're a Christian, you have been truly changed by the living God himself. He has changed your heart. We call that conversion. You heard the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You turned from your sin to him, and when you did this, a true change did take place in your heart. He gave you a heart makeover. He invaded your space and changed you for good, for real. And if you say you're a Christian but haven't experienced this true change in your heart, no matter what you say, you're not a true Christian according to the Bible. A true Christian has been born again. You must be born again. You must be new. You must be converted in order to be a Christian. But conversion isn't the only true heart change that should take place in a Christian's life, right? If you're a Christian, you should always be changing. Because it is God who works in you. He who began a good work in you continues his good work in you. That continual growth is what we call sanctification. 
more specifically, it's called progressive sanctification, meaning we're set apart by God for God. We belong to him, and we're growing and changing to be more like his son. As David Pallison says, when Jesus crossed paths with you, he reveals you for who you are. He precipitates decisive choices. In response to him, people change, either making a turn for the better or, making a turn, or taking a turn for the worse. Whenever a person makes a turn for the better, Christian growth or sanctification is happening. Today I'd like to talk to you about how sanctification happens in a Christian's life. I want to talk to you about that turn for the better when Jesus crosses our paths and we change. He changes us. We turn for the better. How does this true change happen in someone's life? How does God make his people new? And how do we as a church community grow and change together? First, let me tell you why this matters so much to me. Well, I am a Christian and I'm a pastor, which means I work with people in order to help people. And I've seen over the years that true Christians actually want to change, but oftentimes they don't know how. They need help. They even may ask for help, but oftentimes they don't know how. But as more and more people started coming to me for help and brought more and more complex problems to me, I realized as a pastor, I don't know how to help them. (laughs) But as a pastor, this is one of the jobs that you would expect me to know, right? And you would be surprised at how few pastors really feel equipped to help people in their complex problems to change. You'd also be surprised at how few Bible college and seminary courses teach pastors how to help people change. So many of the courses are academic theology, and they have their place, but so few of the courses are practical theology. So a few years ago, I asked the elders here at church if I could do some courses on biblical counseling, because I wanted to help people change, and I realized I didn't really know how. So a few years ago, I took a course on biblical counseling called The Dynamics of Biblical Change with CCEF. And I was excited because uh, David Pallison was uh, teaching the class. He had died at that point, but they were online lectures, and his videos were what the teaching content was. And David Pallison was a leading scholar and practitioner in the biblical counseling movement for decades. So I thought his voice would be very helpful. Today, I'll be quoting a lot from David, and I trust you'll find him insightful and pastoral. But as I came into this class, I came expecting to learn from this wise counselor what the magic bullet for change was, right? I came to a class called The Dynamics of Biblical Change. I'm hoping to get a magic bullet that, you know, you always, you got that thing in the pocket. This is how you change. (laughs) Instead of that, I got a whole new way of approaching change biblically. From the very beginning of the class, he said that the Christian model of change is the only model that has worship as its goal. In other words, the way the Bible approaches change or sanctification is not only God-centered, but God-relational. It not only speaks about God, but relates to him personally. 
And in this class, what I was seeing was that the goal for true change, according to Scripture, is to bring people before the face of God to have an encounter with Him that brings them to worship. If this happens, people will be transformed. People will be changed. But how this happens is a whole other story. And here's where the lights went on for me. Pallison emphasized that God uses a variety of means to bring true change in people's lives. This was an aha moment for me. So we didn't learn pat answers or quick fixes for helping people in ministry in that class. Rather, we learned, and I should add, I'm still learning, what wise ministry looks like. We learned that wise ministry is relational, specific, and situational which means it cares enough to get down into the details of people's lives. He said things like this, wise ministry is always occasional and particular rather than timeless and general. It takes place with reference to the particulars of person, place, time, and current challenges. This class changed the way I approach fellow sufferers and fellow sinners To think that God changes people in many ways means wise ministry requires clear thinking, nuance, and relational skill. As Todd Stride says, the Christian God is a God of nuance and detail. He rejoices and delights in the subtleties of love and helping. He cares deeply about nuance precisely because he is nuanced in his redemptive acts towards his people. God engages us amidst our complexity and our confusion. He knows, that we are, he knows that we are both weak and wayward, sick and selfish. He knows that we are but dust and is mindful of our frame. He ministers to us accordingly. God's ministry to us involves accommodation. He adapts his help to individuals and communities. Like a good and wise father, God meets us where we are rather than waiting for us to come to him when we are ready. And listen to this. How we think about caring for others must always take into consideration how God cares for us. God's relationship with us is our example and prototype. Today I want to show you from the Bible some of the means that God uses to change his people. And in doing so, I pray that we'll hear some specifics from God's word and worship him and experience true change in our heart. I also hope you'll see the importance of steering clear of pat answers and rote uh, responses when a fellow struggler asks you to help them change. I've prepared this message for the people who, who want to change this year, but don't know how, and for the people who want to help them change, but don't know how. This message is meant to equip you for wise ministry, which is the work of helping people grow and change. So today we're going to discover that true Christians change as they respond wisely to the living God. True Christians change as they respond wisely to the living God. As you write that down, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to encounter you afresh today. We come asking that your spirit would draw our hearts towards Christ, that we'd worship him in response And that we would see from your word that you use a variety of means to change us. And that, Lord, you'd you'd connect with us. You'd grab our attention where we are right now. And that you'd draw us in so we could change to be more like Jesus.
For those who are not yet in Christ, those who are not yet converted, I do pray that they would consider Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, this sermon, as you can tell, has a lot of points in it. And um, at the beginning of this, uh, when I started working on it, I found 16 ways that God changes us in the Bible. Uh, But today, uh, and I'm I'm convinced that there are actually many more, but today we're just going to look at nine, okay? And... And uh, you, can, you can be thankful that, uh, you know, there's a lot of points, but uh, at least, you know, there is a point to the sermon. Uh, I hope you'll get the sense that God is creating a beautiful tapestry out of your life and the lives of the people you're seeking to help in this church. And he uses many different colors, textures, and seasons to do so. But how does he do so? First thing we see from 2 Corinthians 3.18 is that true Christians change as they behold the glory of Christ by faith. That's a mouthful. True Christians change as they behold the glory of Christ by faith. Now, um, we're going to go look at tons of Bible verses today. So I don't expect you to turn to all of them, but if you'd like to, you can. I won't have page numbers for all of these. But 2 Corinthians 3.18, you could just make a note of these verses as we go through them, says this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, so the context of this verse uh, in 2 Corinthians 3 was Paul showing uh, the people at Corinth, as he wrote that letter, that the glory of the New Testament was far greater than the glory of the Old Testament, But even the glory of the Old Testament, when Moses asked uh, God to reveal his glory to him, had a remarkable effect on Moses, right? Um, Maybe you remember when Moses asked God to show him his glory, he did so. And uh, it left Moses' face shining. But remember in Exodus 34 what happens. Um, Moses asked God to show him his glory, and the Lord does that. But listen to what it says, Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him. And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And listen to this. And when Moses, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. What's going on here? God shows Moses his glory, and Moses responds in worship. But notice how God shows his glory to Moses. He passed before him, and he spoke. He proclaimed. Now, the Lord passed before Moses, and he proclaimed. He preached. What did he preach? That he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He preached the message of who he was to Moses. And this is how God revealed himself to him. He spoke to him. It's not merely seen with Moses' eyes, though Moses does later in the passage meet with God face to face. His glory is heard as God speaks about his own character to Moses. He proclaims some of his attributes to Moses. And Moses goes to the ground and worships. Moses is relating to God here in person by worshiping him. 
So putting these two texts together, 2 Corinthians 3, Exodus 34, I think we see that we become aware of the glory of God when we hear and believe who he says he is in his word. Now, as Exodus 34 goes on, you see that Moses had other personal encounters with the living God that made his face shine. <laughs> it was a picture of transformation. He, he began to glow because God's presence transformed him. Now, if you're a Christian and you're reading this, you should probably stop and think, are you kidding me? <laughs> his face was glowing. God's presence had a transforming effect on Moses. But... That effect, as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, was only temporary. Although this was glorious, this was only the glory of the law, the ministry of condemnation, or the ministry of death, as Paul will say. But 2 Corinthians 3 is saying, the new covenant of the Spirit is more glorious even than that which made Moses glow, because the new covenant, the New Testament that we see in Christ, is permanent and more glorious. Why? Because when we look to the person of Jesus in the words of the New Testament by faith, we hear God speak, we behold his glory, and that glory surpasses what Moses saw. Our face likely will not shine as we read the Bible, as we read what we hear in the scriptures about Jesus, but our hearts will be transformed. True change will actually be taking place. We're being transformed, as the passage says, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We grow to be more like Christ as we encounter and worship him personally in his word. The spirit of the Lord actually transforms us as we behold the son of God, the Lord, by faith in his word. So, how do we change, you ask? We change by gazing at the beauty and glory of Christ in his word. We hear his words and they become precious to us, causing us to respond in worship. Right? And we see the compassion, the truth, the grace, the love, the justice of Jesus. And the spirit changes us. He turns our thoughts and hearts towards the beauty and glory of Christ away from our sin. And this changes our thought life, doesn't it? It changes our affections. It changes our desires. It changes what we really want out of life, doesn't it? So as you get practical and think about your new year this year, as you think about changing this year, I'd like to encourage you to deepen your understanding of who Jesus is. Start here. One thing, one way to do this would be to read the Gospels this year. Don't rush. It's not a race. Just sit down and Think about what you read in the Gospels about Jesus Christ. Journal your thoughts. Share what you're learning with others. Observe by faith the ways that Jesus speaks to people. Uh, the ways he responds to people's needs. The ways he prays. Ponder the beauty of Christ and worship him. Then watch how the Spirit changes you. Now, it will be progressive from one degree of glory to another. David Pallison says, The variety, freshness, and complications of stories are what make the Gospels, life, people, and ministry so interesting. The details make both your life and God's scripture interesting. The details matter because Jesus finds each of us in our particulars. 
And it is noteworthy that in finding us, Jesus never ministers by rote. Because people and circumstances are not clones. There is no boilerplate in his conversations, friendships, or preaching. No distilled formula, no abstract generalizations. No just do X sorts of advice. Because situations and persons come unscripted, fluid, and unpredictable. Jesus engages each person and situation in a personalized way. Don't you like that? So let me ask you, friend, has Jesus changed you? Has he revealed himself to you and brought you to your knees in faith-filled worship? Is his glory still changing you as you still turn to him? As we consider true change, next we see that true Christians change as they put off the old self and put on the new self. This comes from Ephesians 4. It's a big passage, so I have it on the screen, I believe. Uh, Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24 says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, there's a lot here in this passage. And if you want to dig in more, listen to Pastor Matt's sermon from February, from last February, called This is the Way. But for now, I just want to emphasize your agency or the action that is required of you, Christian. Listen, by, God, uh, listen, um, by God's design, all human beings are moral responders. Uh, so the way we respond to life is a response to the ever-present pre- living God. So the way we respond to life is something to keep note of. And the Christian grows spiritually as he or she takes deliberate action against their sin. So if you say you're a Christian but are living in secrecy, greed, self-centered things like we just read about, you're not fooling God. You may be trying to, you may be hiding from him, but he's not blind to the life of sin that you're living in. You haven't escaped his presence and you never will. But here's the thing, when Christians are sinning, we must consider our part in the story. We are not victims left without any defenses against sin. We aren't to live like we used to live when we were estranged or alienated from God. Because we're not estranged or alienated from God anymore, right? We've learned Christ now. We have the Spirit now. And if we're disciples, which means we're learners of Christ, we've already put off and should still be putting off our old sinful self-centered ways. We change by changing our instinctive go-tos in life, right? 
We put off the old ways and put on the new ways of Christ. We, starting, uh, we, we, we stop looking at porn and start memorizing Bible verses like these which address impurity. We stop gossiping about our enemies and learn to pray for them. We stop getting high to escape life's hurts and we run to God as our refuge in the storms of life. We look sin straight in the eye, and in the power of the Spirit, we throw it off. This is what true Christians do, and God works. He changes us as we do this. We live with new desires for righteousness and holiness now, because our righteous and holy God has made us and is making us new. This is true change. So let's get real with one another. What's your struggle? Name it. Write it down. Pray about it. Get help. Talk to someone. Where do you hide when there's pain in your life? Where do you hide when there's chaos and suffering going on in your life? Are you putting off your sinful habits and being renewed by the Spirit? Put some energy and effort into fighting against your sin this year. Change will come, but it'll come at a cost. So count the cost. Put on, put off. This is another way God changes his people. Let's continue looking at Colossians 3, 1-4 now. We see that true Christians change as they consider who they are in Christ. Colossians 3, verses 1-4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So God will change you as you worship him and celebrate the truth that you are in and with Christ. You're in union with him. And Christ is in and with you. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God now. Your cravings for the things of this world have changed. Christ is your life, Christian. And because of that, the things that used to move you don't move you as much as they used to, right? Whether it's being first place on your team or being the smartest person in your class, those little pleasures aren't the treasure of your heart anymore. Christ is. Christ has captured your affections now, and you are a man or a woman with Christ and in Christ, and he is on your mind. You know that worldly thinking leads to worldly living, and you've got another world on your mind now. Your life is hidden with Christ, who is at the right hand of God. This means that the real you is secure in Christ, who is your life. Christ is your life, Christian. Christ is your life. So your mind continues to internalize and gravitate towards the promises of God about your union with Christ. You take these truths into your heart and God brings about deep, true change in you. Pallison's recommendation here is to rehearse and remind yourself of your identity in Christ. Union with Jesus Christ is the anchor of your salvation. All other identities are secondary. So, you want to change this year? In addition to reading your Bible, uh, why, don't you use, why don't you read a book on union with Christ? It, uh, there's many good books on this. 
Uh, but, but, but maybe you could take a look at one of these two books. Uh, one is called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn. It's an excellent book. I just don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, I have read it, and it's, it's great. And the other is also great, called Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves, one of Pastor Matt's uh, top ten this, uh, this year. Uh, but Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves is uh, also an excellent book teaching about the, uh, our union with Christ as believers. Linger long on the truth of who you are. Let it renew your mind, who you are in Jesus Christ. It will change your life. God uses many means to change us. Next, we see that true Christians change as they share and bear burdens with others. This comes from Galatians 6, verses 1 to 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So these words are about restoration Uh, after moral failure. You have someone that's caught in sin in this passage, and it gives us the image of uh, restoring someone, uh, of setting a joint back in place after it's been dislocated. Okay, so to restore a Christian who's living in sin back to the Lord requires that kind of care from others. A restorative putting things back into order kind of care. But as we see, there is a method to the restoration process in a person's life. It's got to be done, as it says, in a spirit of gentleness. And here's an important word for all of us. It's very easy to see someone living in sin and respond in sin, or to respond to the flesh in the flesh. Because sin is stupefying, isn't it? And at times we respond to sin by sinning against fellow sinners. Uh, And that seems to only make matters worse. Or what could happen is we could try to help someone, as really is the spirit of what's going on in verse 1, trying to help someone in their sin and being tempted by sin and actually fall into the same ways that they are sinning. So to restore a fellow sinner requires a lot of spirit-filled gentle, careful work. But the qualifications for restoring Christians is a spirit of gentleness. I'm reminded of what Spurgeon said to preachers, and I think it applies to those of us who want to help other believers uh, get out of their sin. He said, no matter what good truths you have to teach, no one will thank you if you do not speak kindly. Isn't that something? Gentleness and love will be required in order to restore a sinning brother or sister in Christ back into good fellowship with Christ. And uh, when people fail morally, bearing their burdens at times is very ugly. It requires a delicate touch and perseverance over a long time. But as we do that, God will be using us as a means to change them. And as verse 2 says... This work fulfills the law of Christ. The law of Christ, I believe, refers to the law of love, loving one another, even as Christ has loved us. If we're sharing and bearing the burdens of others and vice versa, God is pleased to use us as instruments in the restorative process. 
David Pallison gives some helpful encouragement here again. He says, make sure you are in honest accountability relationships. None of us is meant to bear our burdens alone. God so works things that we can truly help one another as servants of Christ. So, a couple honest questions. Do you have close Christian friends who have helped you and are still helping you grow to be more like Christ? Are you that friend to anybody else? Do you share your burdens with others? And do others share their burdens with you? It's a two-way street. If you don't have those close friendships, make sure you find someone this year. God has given us connections to people within this church to protect us from being caught in sin and failing morally um, in that. Next, we see in Acts 2.42 that true Christians change as they participate in the means of grace. Look at Acts 2.42, or... You don't have to, just jot it down. Uh, But if you'd like to, it's there. Uh, Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And as you read uh, throughout the rest of the chapter in Acts 2 to to verse 47, you see that God is growing his church through ordinary means. He's bringing exponential, extraordinary work, uh, sorry, extraordinary change through ordinary means. The people are growing in glad-hearted, outward-facing generosity. They're devoting themselves to God's word, to fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. They're doing the things that God told them to do, and these ordinary means, but these ordinary means are changing them. God is changing them as they do this. And you see that the Lord added to their number in that passage day by day those who were being saved. So the church is to be an energetic Living community where God is always working. Again, Pallison says, avail yourself of the means of grace. Sit under good preaching. Participate in corporate worship and sacraments and maintain daily scripture reading and prayer. To flourish, you need truth that is in Jesus to fill your heart. So, do you prioritize church, friend? If not, what is dodging church doing for you? This year, make church, small groups, relationships with fellow church members and fellow Christians a priority. And God will change you. How else do we change? All right, just a check here, just to let you know we're at number six of nine, okay? We're almost there. Uh, True Christians change as they serve others with their gifts. This comes from Romans 12, verses 4 to 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." So here's how life is meant to be lived in the church. We're moving out of ourselves. We're serving others. It's on our mission statement. It's on the bulletin, right? We're meeting the needs of others in tangible expressions of love. We're building others up in the ways we know how and the ways that God has gifted us. Not everyone is gifted the same, and that's a good thing. God has made it so. 
but all of us can serve others in the ways that we know how. Again, David Pallison says this, get busy serving others with the gifts the Lord has given you. Get out of yourselves, uh, sorry, out of yourself. Do something constructive with your life today. To be sanctified is to have your faith simplified, clarified, and deepened. You need God. You know God. You love God. You see life, God, yourself, others more truly. And to grow as a saint is to grow in actually loving people. How other people are doing matters increasingly to you. You care. You help. Becoming more holy does not mean that you become ethereal, ghostly, and detached from the storms of life. It means you are becoming a wiser human being. You are learning how to deal well with your money, your sexuality, your job. When you talk, your words communicate more good sense, more gravitas, more joy, and more reality. You are learning to pray honestly, bringing who God really is to the reality of human need. Don't you want that? <laughs> At this church, there are many people coming and going each week. Um, so we need to repeat and remind ourselves of the importance of serving others. And as a leadership, we're very encouraged uh, by the ways, the many ways the young adults are loving one another and sharing their lives together at our church. But let me take this opportunity to gently challenge you young adults, whom I love, my young adult brother and sister in Christ. This year, will you get out of yourself? Here's what I, what I mean. You're, you're building community with one another, sharing meals, talking about theology with one another, and that's all good. But you tend to be clicky. <laughs> so let me encourage you to be courageous this year, here at church, when you're here on Sundays, and go make some new friends. Go sit somewhere else. <laughs> Everybody's staring at me now. <laughs> go somewhere else on Sunday. Call some of the widows of our church. Take a single mom out for, for coffee. Share a meal during Sunday snack. Help in the kitchen between services. You're some of the most energetic and able-bodied people in this church. So this year, don't stay in your inner circle. Branch out. Sit somewhere else. Greet a new person. Be courageous and serve others in the ways you're able and the ways that God has gifted you. Okay, don't throw anything at me. <laughs> Next thing we see is that true Christians change as they confess their sins to others, soliciting their prayers. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, Christian brother and sister, if you're in the habit of confessing your sins to God... This is good. Keep it up. That vertical confession is essential for your spiritual well-being. But so is horizontal confession. Confessing, uh, sorry, confessing your sins to other Christians is another way we grow within relationships. Notice the progression in this verse. We confess our sins to one another, and then we pray together. We don't confess our sins to one another and just sit around moping. It's not magic, but God works through these means. We, uh, we confess and we pray together. And God ministers change and healing through that confession and that prayer. 
And I think this refers to both physical and spiritual healing, to consider just the spiritual healing for a moment. I think when we confess and pray with other believers, we experience a restored fellowship with God, don't we? Confessing and praying is a pattern that works healing and change in our hearts. We bring our burdens to another brother or sister in Christ. They pray for us, and we feel that indwelling sin that we were entertaining is no longer having that kind of power in our life, right? We've restored fellowship with God again. We need one another in order to help one another change. So, who do you confess your sins to? When you can't sleep at night, who do you confess your sins to? Who do you call? Who do you email? Who do you meet with? Find a friend this year that you'll confess your sins to and pray with. Next, notice from James 1, verses 22 to 23, that true Christians change as they hear, receive, and do the word. True Christians change as they hear, receive, and do the word. James 1, uh, verse 22 says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So in a sense, this is what this whole sermon has been about, right? I've been driving at this, taking scripture and making connections to our lives, tailoring the truth. God's word has been tailored. We, we take the truth and we speak it into the specifics of our life and the lives of people around us. Scripture changes us and, uh, and seasons us as we live it out at home, at work, um, and when we enjoy our spare time with others. And verse 25 says, God blesses our faith in action as we actually do Scripture. That's interesting. Do Scripture. So how are you doing the Word today? How do you intend to do the Word this year? To, to hear it, to receive it, and to do it. To act upon it and to apply it to yourself. Are you reading it? Applying it to yourself? Memorizing it? Listening to it? Obeying it? Preaching it to yourself and others? Singing it to yourself and others. God changes us as we do what he says to do in his word. All right, lastly, scripture teaches us that true Christians change as they imitate Christ-like leaders. In Philippians 3 and Hebrews 13, it says this. Philippians 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's Paul speaking, saying, imitate me and imitate those who walk in a similar way. Personalities differ, but is there a Christ-like leader in your life that you can imitate? Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Your role models, your mentors matter to God. Who do you look up to? Who do you listen to? Who's got your ear? Who do you hang out with on the weekends and the evenings? You're being mentored by the people you listen to. You know that? This includes music, podcasts, books, and those who you follow on social media. Do you remember what Proverbs 13.20 says? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Hanging around and uh, coming under the influences of fools is a quick way to become one. 
So walk with the wise. Walking with the wise is one of the ways that God changes us into wise and loving people. So who are your best friends? Would you say their attitude and lifestyle is marked by wisdom or foolishness? Imitate Christ-like leaders and watch the good that comes of your character. If you don't have a mentor now, uh, I encourage you to seek one out this year. Who do you know that has gone further with you, uh, further than you uh, with Christ? See if you can meet up. Find some ways that you guys can get together, you uh, ladies or, or gentlemen can get together and to do that. They don't need to be perfect, but they do need to be growing in Christ-likeness. So do you have someone like that in your life? If not, find one this year. This is one of the ways that God changes us. Okay, as we close, I think you've seen that Scripture presents a variety of means by which we change, and it is God who is at work to change us by these various ways. So I want to encourage you, as you look optimistically and excitedly at the new year, seek God for change in your life this year. Seek God to change you this year. Find the truth from today's sermon that got your attention. And let it cause you to worship. Bring it home with you. Think it through. Reflect upon it. I think as we worship God and serve others this year, we as a church will grow together. Maybe in numbers. But grow together in maturity and Christ-likeness. Having a real, true heart change within us. But I also want to encourage you to look for the small, subtle, but true changes in you and others. In what ways do you see true change taking place? Even if it's small, take note of it, mention it. True change or sanctification, according to the Bible, is directional. It's direction, not perfection. It's fits and starts, not leaps and bounds, right? It's growth and change, not one and done. It's a preparing a meal not fast food. True change takes place in the details of our lives. And God uses a variety of means to bring it about. So be encouraged, Christian. God is working in you. Let me leave you with a quote from Martin Luther. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask that you would change us. We do ask that our hearts would change and, Lord, that we would be hopeful people as we look to you, as we worship you, as we praise you, as we seek to meet the needs of others, that you'd be working in our hearts to bring about that true, real change in us. Pray that you would minister to these folks here and those who are online and that uh, the people in our relationships, Lord, would also uh, be encouraged as we seek to help them to grow and to change. In Jesus' name, amen.